In the previous episode of Rogue Soldier, the mission to destroy the medical records had been compromised, and the man responsible was Larson's contact and now turncoat. The weight of disappointment and anger bore heavily on Larson's shoulders as his superiors articulated their disappointment in his failure to maintain control over the situation. Larson's blood ran cold as the dire orders were relayed to him without a shred of hesitation. In the cold calculations of the CIA, the hostages, all former military, were deemed expendable. Rogue Soldier, Episode 4 Written by Robert Child Walter Reed National Military Medical Center Cardiovascular Recovery Ward, Building 3, Second Floor At the end of a vacant hospital corridor outside the room where Tom held the hostages, a balding FBI agent, the lead negotiator, in a dark blue suit and gray tie held a small bullhorn. Two other FBI agents flanked him with the distinctive FBI yellow lettering on their blue windbreakers. Next to them were four Walter Reed National Military Medical Center police officers. One held the leash of a German shepherd dog wearing a black vest. As distant sirens wailed and choppers circled the building, the lead negotiator raised the bullhorn. Now you told the 911 dispatcher, and you didn't want to hurt anyone, don't you think it's time we start talking? I can help you make some smart decisions. The negotiator was tapped on the shoulder by the fellow agent to his right, who held a hand to a wire in his ear. Right. Got it. Turning to the negotiator, he whispered, Just got word we need to suspend negotiations. The lead negotiator looked at him dumbfounded. What? We don't even know how much time we have or even how stable he is. They said to stand down immediately. A marine negotiator is coming in. Someone from his former unit. The lead FBI negotiator thought for a moment. Perhaps he could use this to buy valuable time. He raised the bullhorn again. Look, a friend of yours is coming in to talk with you. Someone from your marine unit. I need you to sit tight. Can you do that? Tom stood up from a rolling black stool in the front corner of the hospital room and paced. A yellow detonating cord hung from a front pouch in his coveralls. Can you acknowledge me, soldier? Will you sit tight for me and not do anything until your friend gets here? Tom stopped pacing, shouted toward the door. Yeah, I'll wait. The agents and police officers in the hall breathed a sigh of relief, not to mention the hostages. Tom spoke again. Who is it? The agent didn't know, and the lead negotiator called back to him. We don't have that information yet, but we'll get it for you. Just hang tight. Tom turned from the door and moved to a counter where he'd stacked the patient's collected cell phones. Next to the door was an aluminum rolling cart with a wood grain laminate top. On the laminate top were two white blocks of M112, C4 explosives tied together with an inserted clacker and yellow detonating cord. The cord led back to Tom who had it in his front pocket connected to a simple toggle switch. Each C4 block had one and a half times the explosive velocity of TNT, and if triggered, the blast would obliterate the hospital suite and half the adjacent corridor. The six hostages, five male, one female, were somewhat calm but not quiet. One heavy-set male ex-army heart patient, 55, taunted Tom from his bed. Brilliant plan marine taking hostages in a high-security military hospital? I mean, I know I got issues with the VA, but did you really think this through? Tom turned to him. Look, it's not like that. Just stay quiet, okay? The patient gestured with both hands, signaling no problem. A short-haired Hispanic female Marine, Cindy Rodriguez, 36, tried to calm things down. Marine, huh? She asked. Tom nodded. Where'd you serve? Mostly northern Afghanistan. 
Tom responded. A smile crossed her face. I was never so happy to leave any place. I was at Camp Nawa in Helmand Province. You were a Marine? Yes, sir, we were the first females the Corps sent over. About thirty of us. Peacemakers, sort of. Tom was intrigued and nodded to her to continue. See? We'd check in with the Afghan women to see if they needed medical care, baby items, things like that. And we'd make sure they got it. In exchange, some of them gave us info about bomb makers, hideouts, and other things. The women really knew what was going on in the villages. How'd it work out? Tom asked. Oh, you know it was tough to tell, but I think we did some good. So I think it was successful. Tom relaxed. In turn, the atmosphere lightened. After all, they were all soldiers who shared a bond deeper than most will experience in their lives. Tom offered his name. Tom. I'm Cindy, and I would say nice to meet you, but I think I'll wait on that. A couple of the hostages lightly chuckled. Tom appreciated her wisecrack. Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. 10 a.m. Jake gathered what he needed for the mission from the garrison. He'd suited up with cry combat top and bottoms in the green woodland pattern they often used in Afghanistan. Hamilton wore a tan, multi-pocketed cage plate carrier vest with rigid body armor inserts over the woodland pattern camo. As negotiator, he decided to go lightly armed with a concealed Glock 19, but his men would be equipped with a 30-round Daniel DDM-4, MK-18 carbine pistol in matte black, standard issue for special operations personnel. Exiting the staging area to the helipad, Jake hopped on the waiting UH-1Y Super Huey that had just arrived from New River Airfield. The Super Huey would transport him directly to the more extensive Marine Air Base at Cherry Point, 45 miles up the coast. A seven-passenger UC-35D Marine Cessna was parked there and waiting for him and his small team on the tarmac. Hamilton recruited three of his elite Marine Raider squad members to join the mission. They would link up with him at Cherry Point. Hamilton shared few advanced details with his men about the mission objective. He would fill them in en route. Every minute counted, and Marsock wanted Hamilton's team in Maryland ASAP. Jake reflected as he stared down from the helicopter at the lapping azure green waves along the Carolina coast. The team members he'd selected for this critical mission were some of the finest human beings he had the privilege to know. They were vastly different from one another. But when the crap hit the fan, as it always seemed to do in Afghanistan, and they teamed together, there were no fiercer warriors you wanted beside you. Tom was once part of that team. As he considered that fact and the task ahead, Hamilton tried to shake an ominous sinking feeling he'd first gotten with Nelson at Sochku when he almost declined the mission. Jake knew in his bones a red flag when he felt one, like the times when everything suddenly went silent on a nighttime patrol. No birds, no wind, no tree rustle, nothing, until the enemy tracers and RPGs started flying. Something seemed seriously off about the entire situation. It made no sense. Tom was a trained warrior like himself. Yeah, the man was misguided, slightly paranoid, and a little nuts like most Marines. But he wasn't stupid, and he certainly wasn't psycho. The whole situation felt manifestly evil, like there was some dark force at work that Jake couldn't quite get a handle on. It was a telltale emptiness in the pit of his stomach that wouldn't go away. He'd always felt the same hollowness just before they lost a man. Warning flags and premonitions this ominous had to be heeded and the overriding fact Hamilton was undeniably sure of. Soldiers were going to die in the hours to come. Walter Reed National Military Medical Center. Cardiovascular Recovery Ward, Building 3, Second Floor. Time seemed to crawl as the tension in the hospital corridor thickened. The arrival of Jake Hamilton's team was imminent, but every second felt like an eternity. 
The balding FBI lead negotiator tried to maintain a semblance of control, but his mind was racing, wondering what had led Tom Stone to this desperate act. Inside the hospital room, Tom paced restlessly, glancing at the hostages while his hand occasionally brushed against the detonating cord in his coveralls. The presence of the explosives reminded him that he held the power of life and death over everyone present. He knew the situation was dire, but a glimmer of hope sparked when the FBI negotiator in the corridor revealed the name of the friend who was coming in from his unit. His thoughts flashed back to serving beside Jake and how the man had taken him under his wing. Tom's mind was a jumble of emotions. Jake was probably the only person he never wanted to let down, and now everything had unraveled into a complete mess. But perhaps Jake was also the only person on this earth who could actually help him. Tom continued to pace, unsure of what the future held. But as he looked at the hostages, he couldn't help but feel a pang of remorse for the dark path he had taken. Black Ops. He knew that soldiers like him were capable of great good, and he hoped that somehow Jake would understand the circumstances that led him down this dangerous path. <laughs>